Hey, this is Matt Markin, and welcome to episode 56 of the Adventures in Advising podcast. On today's episode, I get to chat with Dr. Casey Shaddix from the University of Kentucky, and Patricia McMillan from Ontario Tech University is back as a guest host to interview Sally Garner from University of Oregon. Do you like this podcast? Show some love and follow us on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and Facebook at Advising Podcast and YouTube at Adventures in Advising. Now on to episode 56. Hey, advising friends and family, we have another exciting episode for you today. Thank you, as always, for joining. And just a couple of weeks ago, this podcast celebrated over 22,000 downloads. I can't thank you enough. This continues to be an incredible journey. And for longtime listeners, you probably noticed the intro music changed. So just changing it up a bit. And if you didn't know, registration is open for the 2022 Nakata Annual Conference in Portland, Oregon. Both in-person and virtual options are available. It's $430 for current members for in-person and $280 for current members for the virtual option. And that's going to be in the latter part of October. A lot of things are planned for this conference. And if you listen to the last episode, Ryan Sheckel from Texas Tech University talked about the art exhibition that is being piloted for the Portland conference. I hope to see you in Portland or virtually. Check the show notes for the registration and hotel and also the art exhibition links. Let's get started with our first interview, and that is with Dr. Casey Shaddix from University of Kentucky. So let's welcome our first guest on this episode, and that is with Dr. Casey Shaddix. Casey leads the Office of Student Affairs in the College of Health Sciences at University of Kentucky in Lexington, Kentucky. His office provides for a variety of student service needs, including advising for undergraduate, graduate, and professional students in the college. Casey is also currently serving as the Nakata Region 3 Chair and has been an active member in Nakata since 2010 and has been advising college students since 2006. Casey, great to have you on. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Matt. And now, you know, we're recording this um, on March 22nd. And last month, Region 3 had the first region conference of the year. And I know for many people, that's been a couple of years since there's been a region conference. So from your perspective, how did it go? I felt like it went really well. Uh, I was so excited to be at an in-person conference for the region. Um, I had been a conference co-chair for a couple of years, and we did a virtual um, conference um, and shared with Region 5 um, in 2021. And so I was just really excited to see all of the people that I'd seen in the Zoom squares um, for so long actually face-to-face. That is true. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Um, I was just posting about how being on the, the Region Steering Committee for a couple of years, I got to meet four of the Region Steering Committee members in person at our Region 9 conference. And yeah, I had just seen them on Zoom. So I was like, I actually get to see you in person and you're real. So that was a really great experience. Now, you know, you were talking about being a, a, a past uh, conference chair. And so for your conference co-chairs for this one, when we plan a conference, it's nerve wracking. Mm-hmm. How was it for your conference co-chairs where it's like, this is the one that you're coming back in person. So there's high expectations on this. One of my conference co-chairs, she had been with us for a few years because um, I would uh, 
me and my conference co-chair were planning an in-person event in 2020 when the pandemic happened and we canceled, I think three or four weeks before we were supposed to have the event. And so the, our Tennessee conference um, that we just had, had gotten pushed back a couple of times. Um, So she'd been riding the wave, so to speak, um, all the way through. And she was kind of, you know, just going with it. Um, When she brought on her new conference co-chair, they, were so flexible and adaptable um, and I couldn't have asked for better people to just shift and pivot and any of those fun pandemic words that you um, like to bring or people like to bring up whenever we were planning, we didn't know if it was going to be virtual or hybrid or in person. And so they just went with it and I was incredibly grateful for them. And um, they knew that the pressure was on because it was back to that in-person experience, but they were so hospitable and they really brought the the best of Knoxville to life for the region uh, and were just incredibly gracious and wonderful to work with. Yeah. And hopefully this is a good sign that, you know, Portland will have a lot more people there and you know, just have more people in person getting to, to see each other again. Now let's talk about you. What's, what's been your path, your journey into higher ed and academic advising? Originally I was, a pre-law student, um, and I was looking for um, an, an area where I could not only make an impact as a professional, but I was also looking for prestige. <laughs> um, in, in my own right, I was a first-generation college student, and so in a lot of ways, I was building the plane as I flew it. Uh, and as a part of my undergraduate experience, I was a tour guide for campus and I worked in residence life and I worked for summer conferences and orientation. And um, eventually uh, my assistant director of orientation sat me down and and was like, you know, have you ever thought about going into student affairs or college student services? And I was like, I didn't know that's a thing. Um, (laughs) And so whenever I started looking into it, um, you know, it, it was, it gave me a chance to make an impact. Um, it gave me a chance to help people, um, in, in my own way. Um, and the amount of gratitude and appreciation that students and colleagues have for us and the role that we have uh, on campus, um, it does offer that kind of prestige and that acknowledgement and appreciation and respect, um, that I felt like I was looking for in a profession. And so, when I, whenever I left grad school, I was looking for residence life positions and academic advising, knowing that I would probably have to do residence life. And University of Kentucky called and they said, hey, what do you think about being a, a college of business advisor? And I was like, I, like, I would love to do that. And the fact that they gave that vote of confidence to me and, um, and allowed me the chance to grow into a professional role um, was um, wonderful. And I've been at University of Kentucky um, since 2009. Um, and I've been in the College of Health Sciences since 2013. So um, just really enjoying my experience here, even though I never imagined that I would make a life for myself in Kentucky. Right. Now, I was listening to a, a podcast episode you were on um, last year for another podcast. And you were mentioning that when you were a student, uh, you had changed your major se- several times. Yep. Um, only six. <laughs> <laughs> only six. Okay. Only six. But eventually you found your way. And but it is one where, too, like you were talking about, like, you know, you were at an institution and, and you know, you're a tour guide. You're doing these other positions. 
but like you really hadn't thought about going into student affairs until someone actually sat down and like asked you that question, right? Yeah, I you know when I was in high school, I was always the pseudo guidance counselor um, for my friends. I like to have those conversations just naturally. I, I like people's stories and um, learning what makes them tick, where they came from, where they're hoping to go. Um, and that fascination and that motivation for knowing people's stories and appreciating them has really helped me to do the great work that I do um, or uh, that other people have told me that I do um, and, and getting those affirmations as an advisor. Um, and, you know, I, even though I had an advisor when I was an undergraduate, I was an undergraduate almost 20 years ago. Um, and so advising has changed remarkably um, even since I was an undergraduate student. Um, and thankfully through Nakata and the support of advisors, we have continued to grow our impact and the the imprint in a, in a positive way that we have with students and their, their development and their success. So, yeah, I mean, you're, you're talking about liking to hear other stories, you know, you, as a student, you're helping your friends try to navigate this education system life, you know, in the position you're in and have been doing for a while now, you're helping students, helping others. And I think that kind of translates to, into the fact that in 2018, you also won the Student Impact Award. Um, how was it winning that? And, and that was the first time that they had offered that award? Yeah, so uh, I was the inaugural recipient of the Student Impact Award in our college, uh, and it it was nice to have that affirmation. I think anytime um, we're able to have that check-in, um, whether it's via an award or a performance evaluation, anything like that, that is affirming that you're meeting the mark, you're doing a good job, and in, in a lot of cases, even going above and beyond, um, I think is really extraordinary. That award meant a little bit more to me than than the average award that I've I've received all, all along the way because it is nominated by students um, and it comes directly from the the nominations and the feedback that students have about um, your impact on them and so it was just incredibly touching and humbling um, to know that I had made that big of an impact um, on a number of students in our college. Um, you, you want to be able to impart some things to them and, and help guide them along the way, but to have had such a significant impact that it's award worthy um, was, was truly extraordinary. Yeah. I think that's kind of really cool to know that it's from students, you know, because it also lets you know that, they are watching and they're, you know, you're ha if you're in an appointment with them, you know, they're have some sort of feeling or engagement depending on how that appointment goes or um, that email that you send or that phone call when you talk with them or, you know, like you're saying, kind of going above and beyond. And so it is nice to know that, you know, that you're getting that recognition for that and that students are appreciating that the work that you're doing and others are doing at your institution. So again, really cool. Congrats on that award. Thanks. Yeah. And so at University of Kentucky, how how would you describe your, your institution? University of Kentucky is um, the Research One institution. Um, so we're the flagship for the Commonwealth of Kentucky, and um, it's a variety of disciplines. Um, they say that it's one of only eight university, um, four-year universities across the country that has 
the the mix of disciplines that we do. Um, we do healthcare really well. Um, a lot of places do, but um, that's a particular point of pride for us. Um, heavily invested in agriculture um, and the agricultural resources of the state. A decent engineering program, some business, a law school, um, just a, a variety of disciplines um, that makes UK a destination for a wide array of students um, who have just this limitless variety, um, seemingly, of um, professional goals and aspirations. And it's sort of a breeding ground for a lot of transdisciplinary work um, and interdisciplinary work, which is really um, fascinating uh, when you have you know, like one of our communication sciences and disorders faculty members um, in the college um, developed a device that measures infant tongue strength um, with a college of engineering um, faculty member. Um, and so getting that across disciplines of engineering and the health sciences and, and seeing it make an impact and being able to do things like patent new devices that make such a significant impact on people's lives is um, pretty cool. Yeah. It's like, who would have thought, uh, yeah, you're putting those two together and yeah, it's a lot of collaborations and I didn't even think about that. Now I'm just fascinated by that. I want to go and look that up. And within your role and your office, like what, what does your role entail? And, you know, can you describe your office? Yeah. Um, so our office advising is a, a cornerstone of what we do for undergraduate, graduate, professional students. Um, and it's advising thought of broadly um, like we do in Nakata, um, you know, whether that is, you know, academic planning, um, it is helping people to build a, a portfolio professionally and personally that they can be proud of, um, you know, that takes advantage of all the resources that we have with research and education abroad and um, doing service and making an impact in the community. And then even going beyond into things like compliance that are a little unique that I never imagined that I would be doing in in my role in advising, but um, we monitor compliance for students who are in clinical sites. And so making sure that they have the correct immunizations and they've had background checks and drug screens and all of those things that are important for health providers who are in clinical settings. Um, and then we also do um, a variety of assessment. Um, we monitor and administer scholarships, um, course scheduling and registration, really this myriad of tasks and responsibilities that are kind of unique to our college and some of them never even originally wanted to work with, um, especially the compliance type stuff. Um, I you know, don't like to talk about drug screening and background checks and those sorts of things. It's not been a priority for me in the past. So definitely new and I'm fine. I'm learning every day, even still. And so like in the Office of Student Affairs, so that's within the College of Health Sciences, does each like college have their own student affairs office? Yeah. So at the University of Kentucky, um, I would call us semi-centralized. Okay. Um, so we have a university advising director um, and uh, a couple of professionals that work with professional development and technology services um, to ensure that we have all of the resources that we need across campus. Um, and so we do report. So we report to a university advising, and then we also service the needs of our individual colleges. Um, there are 13 of us across campus that oversee each of the individual colleges um, and teams, but 
we, we have sort of a hybrid model where we're all working together collaboratively across colleges um, for certain initiatives to create the consistency of a student experience. Um, but then there's also the unique culture of a college or a specific set of disciplines. Um, and it works really well for us. Um, it's nice that if a student is in the College of Health Sciences and then they decide to become a business major or an education major, that they're going to be able to depend on a certain level of service and experience from their advisors, regardless of where they go on campus. And even though it might be a different person um, and a different personality that um, they're getting in their new major, they know what to expect from that relationship and that partnership that they have with their advisor. And then so within your office, you like you're advising undergrads, grads, uh, professional students, so is it like separate advisors within your office for those, or do you have some that kind of advise all three? So uh, we primarily advise the undergraduates. Um, and then with the graduate and professional students, it's a um, we do have an advising relationship with them, but we advise them as a team. Mm-hmm. Um, they are primarily advised by their faculty mentor um, or they, they refer to the uh, as faculty advising, but it's it, it's more of a mentorship type of relationship, not that they're mutually exclusive. Um, and from the campus resources and community resources standpoint, um, some of the career development pieces, we, we partner with the faculty members and the graduate professional programs. Um, you know, there are things that we know about resume development and, you know, building a strong portfolio for doing a job search that are applicable across the disciplines. And then there are some things that are really unique to physical therapy or to athletic training that that faculty member can say, well, the things that Casey shared with you are a really great start. And here are some things that you can do to delve even a little deeper in this area of your resume or your experience to make sure that you're truly competitive. Um, and we work, we work collaboratively with our faculty advisors, mentors um, to make sure that we cover all the bases, I guess you would say. Yeah, yeah, perfectly said. And, you know, I'm sure, you know, you and your team have met with many students within that are interested in healthcare, health services that, maybe start out wanting to do one thing and then realize like, well, maybe that's not what I want to do. And then it's trying to navigate them potentially to somewhere else outside of health, health science or still within the same area. Um, how do you help those students kind of navigate, but then also that they don't feel like defeated at the same time? Yeah. I think in, in the work that we do with students, the, the philosophy that I've tried to foster um, in our office and with our team in our work with students is that as one of, um, we call it caring, we sort of phrase it, caring curiosity. Um, so being really present with students in, in their circumstance, sometimes it's to celebrate some of those really successful moments and those affirming moments of like, yeah, physical therapy is it, or, you know, medicine or pharmacy, um, it is something healthcare. Or for the students that are having that existential moment um, where they're like, it's not healthcare, and I, I was fascinated by it, I was interested in it, um, but it's just things aren't jiving with my values, my personality, um, my skills, or my strengths as a student. And being able to go above and beyond by knowing enough general information about business, about engineering, um, to have some of those exploratory conversations. Um, and as professionals, 
being open to the fact that we have things to learn about all these professional areas too. So even though I'm working in healthcare, you know, I, I learned just last week some new and interesting things about computer engineering because I had a student that was interested in computer science and computer engineering. And so we explored together. Um, and I think that that made um, it a really rewarding experience for for that student because um, he was, you know, curious about this area. And I know very little about computer science and computer engineering, but um, being willing to take the time to explore it together um it was kind of fun for me um, and it was really interesting to him and he didn't have to do it alone, um, which I think was really helpful for him too. Well, I'm going to remember that. So the caring curiosity, that, that's, that's a good term for that. But I think you also give great advice. So let's say new advisors where, you know, they're, they may start out and they're trying to learn the institution, learn all the <laughs> procedures, the policies, learn the majors. And then, you know, they're, they feel that, okay, when a student sits in my office or they're on zoom, that I need to know everything. And in this case, it's like, well, if I don't, let's learn it together and mm-hmm. let's be open to it. So I think that's just fantastic advice right there. And, you know, and I think it also sums up because there was an, um, I was reading one article and then you were kind of talking about how, you know, you help students evaluate how their skills, abilities might mesh with the health sciences. So exactly what you've been saying, you know, because I think there's sometimes that misconception that um, if you're not great at science, then you shouldn't do like, let's say, health services, or if you don't like the sight of blood, you shouldn't do it. But there's so many other places you can go within like health services. Mm-hmm. Um, and do you have some of those conversations with students? Yeah, um, we actually teach a cohorted class with our exploratory students the first year. And um, with all of our students in health and health services, we introduce them to the variety of health professions. Because we hope that our health, we hope that our health providers will feel like they're working on a team and they'll work collaboratively to serve us as patients and clients. And so we try to impart that on the students too. That there are a variety of people on the team um, in healthcare, and they're not all, you know, science rock stars. Um, they're not all master accountants um, when it comes to patient finances and contracts and things like that. Um, but it does take people who have a variety of skills and um, and talents to work in healthcare. And so even if it's not something that originally brought someone to the world of healthcare, um, you know, they may have been originally interested in dentistry. And then the more they learned about it or the more they learned about their own skills and talents, they were like, it's not this. Maybe I, I can be a clinic manager, or a practice manager. Maybe I um, want to work with patients in more of a therapeutic or rehab type setting. Um, we're helping them to explore all those possibilities um, as we also open up this window to interprofessionalism and working across the different healthcare areas and expertise to serve patients and clients in a really collaborative and all-encompassing type of way. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Cracking the college admissions code just got easier. I'm Rebecca Gordon, your go-to fictional college admissions counselor for the rich and famous. Tune into The Admissions Game, Satire Edition, and uncover my top secrets for surefire Ivy League admission. Ditch the old Photoshop your face onto a water polo hunk trick. We reveal all the latest loopholes. So laugh and learn with the admissions game wherever you podcast. 
Well, I'm going to use one of those uh, buzzwords that we were talking about during COVID. So you're helping those students pivot in a way. Indeed. <laughs> Indeed. Now, I was reading that. I don't know if it's many people call it. I'm sure a lot of people call it um, that your Office of Student Affairs nickname is the office is nicknamed the living room. Is that correct? Yeah, we even have a TV and we're, you know, sometimes we'll watch March Madness. At Kentucky, that's a sore spot right now. Um, but, you know, we, we watched the Winter Olympics here recently and all kinds of stuff like that. So it's a great way to connect with people informally and just, you know, feel a sense of comfort. Um, and finally, the living room is open again. So there was a long period of time there with COVID where we had to close down the living room, but it's it's open again. Nice. I'm sure a lot of people are happy about that. Absolutely. It's a great, great and comfortable place. We even have just, you know, good sofa chairs that people like to sink in and they'll sit there on their laptop for hours. And, you know, we've had people write entire papers sitting in some of these comfortable chairs. (laughs) Hey, whatever helps to get the job done, you know. Indeed. (laughs) Yes, sir. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about Nakata and more about Nakata in a little bit, but uh, you're also um, been a part of the University of Kentucky Advising Network, right? Yep. Um, so the University of Kentucky has had an advising network for um, right around 30 years. Um, and it was originally founded by um, one of the early advisors, um, Ken Friedman. Um, we even have a whole set of awards that are um, named in um, in his honor and a really active professional development resource that um, allows us to do a lot of that collaborative and sort of cross-college work that I mentioned um, in relation to university advising. And then with Nakata, you know, we were talking a little bit about the region conference that just happened and working with those co-chairs. I want to talk about being region chair, but also kind of like your past experience as conference co-chair. And can you talk more about, because you've been in Nakata since uh, 2010. um, Mm -hmm. So can you talk about like what got you started in Nakata, if you remember, like was it attending a conference or someone mentioned it and then kind of like your involvement since then? Yeah. Um, the U that, um, university of Kentucky advising network, um, Sue Ann early, um, was really instrumental in getting me connected to Nakata. Um, she's a former region chair and has also been a Kentucky state liaison for our region. And, um, early on when I started at university of Kentucky, the region conference was in Knoxville, um, in 2010. And so I was like, I'm going to become a member and, you know, I'm going to go talk to them about what we've learned about um, remedial work. Um, And so we did a pre-conference workshop I co-hosted, which was was sort of going in head first um, because I was like not only going to attend the conference and and learn a lot, but I was also like, I I think I might have something to tell people. Um, And so I got involved pretty early on there and would regularly um, submit proposals to um, deliver presentations and, and lead sessions at a lot of the region conferences and eventually um, some of the annual conferences. And um, Sue Ann's like, you should get even more involved. And I became a conference co-chair with her. So she's been pulling me along. And even though um, I didn't get a chance to be a part of the Emerging Leaders Program with Nakata, um, I felt like I was an unofficial member because Sue Ann felt like my mentor, um, like an ELP mentor, um, serves for a lot of our new folks. Yeah, I think there's a lot of unofficial, unofficial members, (laughs) but it also means that, you know, you can also be applying as a mentor and mentoring the next generation of advisors coming into this profession. Absolutely. For you being a region chair, I mean, how's it been so far for you? 
It's been wonderful um, just connecting with a wider array of people um, and giving a lot of the talents that I have um, to the organization that's given me so much. Um, so be, to being able to, to return that and then offer it up to others and then also um, giving me a platform to encourage other people to to make the leap to get more involved in the organization and invest in professional development. Um, really, because, you know, it, it helps us as, as professionals, but it's also fun and an enjoyable way to connect. Um, and I have really enjoyed helping to keep the bar um, realistic, I think, for people, because um, a lot of people will set these really high expectations um, because they're like, well, I have to do the most. And it's like, well, you know, we like we want to keep people engaged and we want to get people connected and we want people to feel supported as a part of Nakata. Um, but that doesn't mean that you have to, you know, spend as much time um, with Nakata as you do your full-time job. Um, you know, if as long as you're invested and you're staying connected and you're staying engaged and, um, and helping to support people, that's, that's what we're here to do. Um, but it doesn't have to necessarily be 50, 60 hours a week. Um, like I think some people build up in their mind. Yeah. Well, I think it's also probably at least, you know, for me, when I started, um, in October, when I transitioned over after, um, Sherry Souza, uh, cycled mm -hmm. off as region chair, I think it was one of those, like, I need to put my stamp on it. You know, people are going to be looking at me and then I need to, you know, do X, Y, and Z. And then you're like, okay, but I still have my other job I have to do too. The one that actually, you know, pays me a salary. Nah. People might be thinking like, that sounds great. Like I would want to get more involved. Maybe doing, you know, being a, a, a chair of the region might be something I want to do, mm -hmm. you know, um, but it's that, that balance. So, so like how for you though, like if someone was like, you know, Casey, tell me how, how many hours a week you might spend on, you know, Nakata or does it even work like that? You know, how do you let them know like, Hey, I'm able to, to balance it and still make it work. Yeah. Um, I like to, and I can't remember which region chair it was specifically. It might've been Sade um, from region four, or it might've been Sarah Maddox from 10, but um, it, someone said carving out a little bit of time each week. Um, and if you end up doing more, you know, Nakata related stuff on, in one week, that's great. Um, and if you aren't able to do as much as maybe even set a goal for, that's okay too. But trying to carve out some time to, to make sure that you feel good about what you're contributing. And even though I was kind of apprehensive at first when Karen Hoff showed the, the outgoing region three chair, she was like, you should be region chair. And I was like, why me? You know, and uh, because she saw how invested I was and how excited yeah. Nakata made me. Um, you know, I I don't feel alone at all. I feel really supported as a region chair by um, Ben Hopper, our assistant director of regions um, at, at Nakata and the entire executive office. I feel really supported in the region chair community um, when we have those regular meetings. Um, we have our region steering committee. So that's yet another group of people that I feel supported by. Um, and then even um, whenever we were doing the leadership training and we were doing um, the race equity and inclusion um, leadership trainings and, and those were being facilitated, I met even more people across the different divisions in Nakata. And so more than anything, I feel really privileged to be a, a region chair because more so than me offering my support, which I try to do consistently to as many people as possible, 
I feel an overwhelming sense of support being poured into me um, and the potential that I have in the role um, from the executive office, from, you know, the different divisions and the connections there, our steering committee, just a variety of people that I feel like are pouring into my cup. And so it allows me to, in turn, offer that over to other people. Um, it's kind of cool how it happens that way. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, this is a two-year role. And then afterwards, after you're done, you cycle off in a way, you're still on there for at least another year as a past region chair. But mm -hmm. from what I understand, it's one where it's like, yeah, and I get to kind of set back, <laughs> give some <laughs> insight after that, but don't necessarily have to super, super be, be active in it. Although um, I think all past chairs are still active uh, within their steering committees. Yeah, I, I, I think it's cool because you're kind of, an advisor of advisors um, in a lot hey, of there ways. You go. And so, you know, where we're talking to our new steering committee members and getting them onboarded or Karen is my, basically my advisor for Nakata <laughs> um, yeah. because as a past region chair being on the steering committee still, you know, I just recently had a one-on-one -on -one meeting with her um, over Zoom and we were able to catch up and she was able to tell me all the things that she was doing and how she was handling it. And she was, you know, I was like, I don't know what I'm doing with, you know, X or Y or like, what, what do you think would be best? And so based on her experience, she was able to give me some perspective and just like we do for our students. Um, and it had me leaving my time with her confident, clear um, and excited, honestly, to to get things going. Yeah, I think that's just good advice for and, and good to hear your story, because I think anyone who's interested in just doing anything within like a steering committee, whether it's within the region or whatnot, there's people like you're saying that will be there for support people that you can go to to ask questions. Or like from a region standpoint, you have Ben and Stephanie that will take care of a lot of the legwork too and answer a lot of mm -hmm. those hard questions that we may not have the answers for. So there's always someone that you're going to be able to rely on to help you get through whatever situation uh, that, that you're in to move forward. Yeah. People that are just passionate and gen I mean, you know, Stephanie um, has on has been a part of Nakata for less than a year. And she came in, uh, like I said, head first and, you know, was like doing all the things. And like even as she was learning, she was helping to support. Um, and it's just really remarkable um, and and so rewarding to see that so many other people are as invested in the organization and its success as we are. Yeah, no, speaking of that, like, yeah, with Stephanie, I would send an email uh, when she was first starting and it's like, I don't know, but I'm going to find out. And like within like an hour, here's an, here's the answer. I'm like, cool. Absolutely. You know, now, now we have another person that we can connect with and know that's going to help us out. And Kind of moving on from that, um, I actually want to kind of go back to like your PhD years. Um, <laughs> you know, a lot of people are interested in in jumping in and maybe doing a, a doctoral program. Um, mm -hmm. Yours was in educational policy studies and evaluation. And you did this one also at University of Kentucky. Uh, what made you uh, jump in to do that PhD? Yeah, originally, I thought I was like, I was like, maybe I want to be a faculty member. And, you know, I, I was you know, I, I wanted to gain skills. I wanted to continue learning. Um, and it, it wasn't super clear at first, but um, originally because I thought I might want to be a faculty member. And then um, it evolved to like, how can I build my perspective and, and make an impact on some of the educational policies and some of the, the ways of working, not only at my own institution, but to 
provide perspective um, to institutions in higher education in general as they're developing their policies and as they're considering new regulations and new priorities for, you know, where, where are you going to put your support and your resources and, you know, how do you make decisions and prioritize those things? Stay with us. We'll be right back. You love listening to podcasts, but have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Maybe you want to build a brand, grow your business, or are looking for an excuse to talk about your favorite hobby. Whatever your reason for making a podcast, Buzzsprout is the place to start. Since 2009, Buzzsprout has helped over 300,000 people launch their own podcasts. Buzzsprout walks you step-by-step through the whole process and will give you powerful tools to start, grow, and monetize your podcast. Ready to get started? Click the link in the show notes to get our free step-by-step guide to starting your podcast today. Yeah, and so with your dissertation, and speaking of, you know, you're mentioning narratives earlier, uh, yours was titled Self-Authoring Gender Performance, a Narrative Analysis of Gay Undergraduate Men. Can you talk more about your dissertation and what you found in your research? Yeah, so um, I'm a qualitative researcher, so I love narrative and I love um, interviewing people and having conversations and learning their stories. Really, the the literature that took me down the road of this study um, was just the precarious nature of living a double life um, with um, feeling like you can't go home again, so to speak, um, for gay undergraduate men. Um, I identify as a, as a gay male. And so I had my own unique walk as an undergraduate gay male. Uh, and so I was interested to hear the stories of gay undergraduate men from a variety of disciplines and from a variety of um, backgrounds and demographics at, at the same institution um, and see what came of it. Um, and there were really four themes that came out of it. And in, in general, the gay undergraduate men that I interviewed um, would mask um, and they would live in, in a codified way in different spaces. Um, so in student organizations, they may feel really comfortable um, disclosing certain aspects of their um, personality and who they are and sort of being an authentic self. Whereas when they're in their discipline, there are certain disciplines that um, are a little bit more um, misogynistic. There um, are ones that are incredibly um, confining um, when it comes to acceptance of, of people from a variety of backgrounds and experiences. Um, and it's it's getting better. Um, it gets better, as they say. Um, it's getting better, but um, there's still a long way to go in a lot of these disciplines. And so um, the idea that someone will have to be someone they're not so that they can feel a sense of inclusion and a sense of even if it's uh, an artificial belonging, a sense of belonging in their discipline and and what they're hoping to do professionally um, can be really stifling. And so uh, it was nice to be able to conclude that study with some recommendations for how we can do and be better on our campuses, in our disciplines, um, and how we can support people living a more authentic life and a true version of themselves um, that they aren't fearful or anxious about um, presenting to the world. You know, it's hard to be, quote unquote, live your best life or be your best self um, professionally, personally, um, in a lot of these different spaces, if you can't even be authentic and, and honest and candid about 
who you are um, and what you bring to the table. I just think that just that last part you just said is could be so general that a lot of people listening are like, that's me or, you know, I've, I've fallen into that or I've been like that. And I guess for those that are interested in you know, kind of how you did that research, not that you have to go into specifics on it, mm-hmm. but like with your dissertation, is it like you have to get uh, like you think of the topic and then you get approval for it and then you go through like some IRB approval? So, so it was definitely a long process overall. Um, the nice thing about it is you didn't have to begin with the end in mind, um, mm-hmm. so to speak. Um, you learn a lot as you go, um, which I think um, can be really reassuring, um, especially as someone who went through it not knowing what to expect myself. I, I think it's important that people know you don't have to have it all figured out from the get go. Um you have to know that you want to make an impact kind of like we, you know, our students know that they want to make an impact in a certain discipline or we as advisors, we want to make an impact. That's why we do the work with the PhD. It's, you know, I I want to make an impact. I'm curious uh, and I want to know things. Um, And so you take the coursework and um, certain themes or certain um, priorities for, you know, what, what you want to investigate and what you want to research will happen um, along the way. Um, and then you'll have a faculty mentor, um, advisor, uh, a committee um, that will help you to hone those skills. And so, you know, I learned a basis of qualitative research methodologies, um, but I learned some really cool and unique ways that our methodology and our research, but I never really thought of them um that way whenever I was starting my program. So for instance, there's a a qualitative methodology called photo voice where people take photographs of things that are significant to them. And then in either a focus group setting or an interview setting in photo voice, they'll actually share, you know, what does this photo mean to you? A picture's a picture's worth a thousand words, so they say. Um, Well, in this case, it really is. And so um, it's just interesting how, collage and, you know, and narrative um, can come to life. And, um, you know, whenever we have a lot of these statistics and we have these data points, um, those are wonderful and they tell part of the story, but, you know, there's this whole narrative basis and there's this whole story behind those numbers and the people that make up those numbers. Um, And so I think if you're wanting to make an impact and you're curious and um, you want to, um, learn people's stories and you want to learn new information. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be, I want to be a faculty member or, you know, I have this job in mind. So I know I need a PhD. Um, it can, sim- it could simply be for the love of learning. And that's really what it turned out to be for me because there are certainly plenty of my counterparts across the country who don't have a PhD and are thriving successfully. Um, I really enjoyed that experience. And I think, in turn, it, made, it did make me a better professional, made me a better advisor because it allows me to be present. It allows me to lead with that that care and curiosity that I did also as a researcher. Um, and so it wasn't in vain. Um, but what I took from it and what what it's meant to my life isn't what it could have or I originally intended it to be, if that yeah. makes sense. It does. It does. And as we wind down, a um, couple more questions for you. Or, you know, one is, a you know, we were talking about the Student Impact Award you got a few years ago, but most recently uh, you got the Nakata Excellence in Advising Administrator Certificate of Merit. So that was, was that awarded to you uh, 
in February? Well, um, so my conference co-chairs, the gracious ones that I was talking about, um, were like, that seems odd. Like, are, like, how do you want this to go? And I was like, you know, I appreciate self-deprecating humor. So I was like, if y'all will indulge me, I'm going to award this one to myself. <laughs> I was like, you know, I, I, and so um, it was a lot of fun. And, you know, our executive director, Dr. Anderson, um, she was there and, uh, you know, she got a chuckle out of it. The whole room was in stitches because it was, it was just a lot of fun. Um, and I, I really did feel humbled to um, received that acknowledgement, not only from Nakata, but from the colleagues that nominated me. Um, I think we've all been living through just a really difficult time. Um, and the fact that we've remained committed um, to the profession and our students and um, and doing the work that, that we love um, and we haven't wavered has meant a lot. Um, and to be able to be in an administrator's role who can offer, you know, the grace and compassion um, and and space for people to to be supported, and then and then in turn be acknowledged for that um, by my professional organization, Nakata, was just remark uh, just wonderful, um, very heartwarming. Yeah, and I think that's what I'm going to remember from a lot of the the conference at least that I was at, and you know what you're saying with yours, like there's a lot of smiles, a lot of laughter. You know, probably a lot of hugs as well. So yes, it was so nice to get hugs again for sure. <laughs> <laughs> and last question for you. So kind of going way back when, you know, let's talk middle school, high school. I read that uh, you also clog or used to clog, still clog. I don't know. Um, I, I I've been known to um, break out into spontaneous dance. <laughs> um, <laughs> I I did clog. Um, and I also did tap jazz and ballet. I was um a, a dancer in middle school and high school and really loved it. Um, I didn't continue on to college unfor- uh, unfortunately, but um, I still enjoy a good dance party. Um, and you know, every now and then I'll break out the clogging moves. Um, for people. So, um, if I see people at annual, um, maybe there'll be some impromptu clogging and singing and. And just a good time. I'm really looking forward to it. Oh, we're going to make sure that happens now. <laughs> but Casey, it's been great to have you on the podcast. Great learning more and more about you and your background. And I look forward to uh, seeing you on the next uh, region conference uh, meeting on, on Zoom. But of course, to see you in person again at the Portland conference. But thank you again for being on. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Matt. Thanks, Casey. As Jamie Engel said at the Cincinnati conference, we're odd region chairs. So from region three, five and nine, respectively, who got to start together and will also be ending our run together. It was great getting to chat with you about health sciences, your dissertation and your commitment to your students and staff. Let's shift gears and bring back Patricia McMillan from Ontario Tech University and Patricia interviews Sally Garner from University of Oregon. All right, like we've been doing the past few episodes, we've asked the past guest to jump back in, but this time take on the interview duties. So today we welcome back Patricia McMillan from Ontario Tech University. Patricia, it's been a while. How have you been? I've been good. It's winter up here in Ontario right now, but other than that, I'm good. (laughs) Yeah, which is why I like living in Southern California. It's always nice and sunny most of the time, depending on whenever, (laughs) what day of the year it is. And if you didn't get a chance to catch Patricia being interviewed, check out episode 39 of the podcast titled Developing Dynamic Skills. So, Patricia, you ready? I'm ready. Let's do it. 
All right. Sounds good. It's all yours. Okay. Well, welcome. Uh, one of my favorite people is our guest today. So I'm going to start by reading uh, the bio for the lovely Sally Garner. So Sally is the Director of Student Services at the School of Journalism and Communication Undergraduate Program at the University of Oregon. She works with faculty, staff, and a team of award-winning advisors to recruit, retain, advance, and graduate approximately 2,500 undergraduate students. Sally's team advising office was a Certificate of Merit recipient of the 2014 Nakata Outstanding Advising Program Award. When Sally took the helm in 2000, she started the office's transition to a fully hybrid academic and career student services center. The hybrid mission is based on the premise that student development and academic goal setting are interlinked with career development and career goals. To serve one without the other is incongruent with a holistic approach to student services. The team now routinely present at regional and global conferences on the integration of career and academic advising. Sally has served in a variety of leadership positions for Nakata, the Global Community for Academic Advising, including Region 8 Chair, Region 8 Communication Coordinator, and Oregon State Liaison. She has also been a Nakata Emerging Leader Program Mentor, having graduated from the program as a mentee in 2013. She presents regularly at regional and global conferences. In 2017, Sally was twice recognized as an Outstanding Advising Administrator by Nakata, first at the regional level in March, and again at the most com- at the more competitive association level in October. Throughout her tenure at Oregon, Sally and her team have tried different strategies for promoting student success, including advising podcasts, aggressive outreach programs, and flyby efforts to bring advising to students where they are, in the classroom, in residence halls, or their student groups. Sally has a Bachelor of Arts from the University of Oregon and a Master of Education from Oregon State University. In her free time, she enjoys binge-watching one version of Star Trek or another, baking and taking walks with her husband and their adorable corgis, Carson and Poe. Welcome, Sally. Why, thank you, friend. Nice to see you. You too. I wanted to add she was the amazing mentor in the Emerging Leaders Program, so... FYI to anybody listening, um, Sally was my mentor in the 2016-2018 class of the Emerging Leaders Program. Um, so, yay. I'm I so know, excited that I get to was. talk to you today. Oh my gosh, I'm super <laughs> excited for this. Thanks for doing this. No problem. And I, because we have the relationship of with Nakata and, and through Nakata things, reading about all of the stuff you do at work is super exciting and interesting to me. So I do have some questions about that as well. Um, but first uh, question we like to always hear um, when I listen to the podcast anyway, is what your path and your journey into advising higher ed in general was. So why don't we start with that? Why don't you tell us how you got here? Oh, absolutely. So I actually landed in the United States in the mid-90s as an international student. I came to uh, the University of Oregon to study journalism, and but I was born and raised in Malaysia. And at that time, English was my second language, and I wanted to improve it. I wanted to keep practicing, and I kept getting, I kept hearing the phrase, get involved do something, get involved, do something, practice, practice, practice. And I saw a sign in the hallway on some notice board in the building that said, become a peer advisor, get involved. I'm like, aha. (laughs) (laughs) So I walked into the office and I signed up. And so I started peer advising when I was a junior uh, and I really enjoyed it. I was really enjoying kind of the problem-solving aspect to uh, advising my peers. 
at the time. And I did it for two years. In my in my in my last year in college, I I was the lead peer advisor, and I was responsible for kind of recruiting uh, the next peer, the, you know, kind of the next batch of peers, training, and you know, working alongside them. I got a chance to do new student orientation as a peer advisor, and just kind of got a little taste of advising, just as you know, just a little sliver of advising. Really loved it. Uh, graduated, kind of stayed in town but worked in, um, in a non-advising field for a couple of years before um, I discovered that, the, that my department was looking for a part-time advisor at the time. And I thought, I had a lot of fun doing it the first time. Let's do this as a job job. And so I uh, applied, I got it. It went from part-time pretty quickly to three-quarter time, pretty to full time, and pretty much kind of never looked back since then. And that was in the in, that was in two thousand when I started as an advisor. My supervisor at the time, as you know, as the years went by, said, "You know what? If you're going to make this a career, you need to get at least a master's degree." And so um, I started going to school part time while working full time, and uh, did that for three years got my master's degree. And uh, in 2010, was promoted to interim director of the office. And, uh, and, and I, I think truly kind of the journey really started there at that point. The, the, all the years leading up to that were kind of, I felt like, like my training ground um, before like the real work really started at that <laughs> point. So it started with a sign, a literal sign, Tricia. Literal sign on the wall. (laughs) Saying, Sally, follow me. (laughs) I love it. I love it. That's amazing. It's interesting um, the number of people that end up in advising by accident. uh, Mm -hmm. But then there's those that, you know, it is, you just, you see early on that this is where you're meant to be. So um, that's awesome. Now at your school um so this is the canadian in me coming out and making sure i say the right words the school of journalism and communication um you have the the hybrid model between academic advising and career advising so i would love to talk more about that because i know we don't we have separate here at our at my institution but i am getting so many questions from students that relate to career so i 100 percent love the um the integrated model. So can you tell us a little bit about how that works? Yeah, absolutely. We, we started separate as well. When, um, when I started working here, we had a separate kind of career advisor who worked in a different office in a different space, kind of at one point, even on a different floor. Um, and we kept doing referrals, right? Because that's what we do. When we are, um, are very working good. with, we're very good at <laughs> referrals, you know, go here, talk to this person, go there. Well, referrals were kind of falling flat because students come, weren't really kind of seeing the connection as to the why piece, right? Why, why should I go there? Um, and so we started kind of doing some joint programming, right, to kind of show students that, you know, this is this and this is that. And the two, the two kind of areas are interconnected and we really should be taking advantage of both. When I took over the office, you know, that I be, kind of began that transition to, we should all be doing this, 
but you should have, you know, career advising should have a foothold in academic advising and academic advisors should have a foothold in career advising. It's, it just kind of makes sense. And in 2010, when we started this journey, there were not a lot of models out there to follow. So we were doing a lot of trial and error, but we were kind of housed pretty uniquely, right? So I work for the School of Journalism and Communication and I have a dedicated population of students that I'm working for. And because I have a dedicated student, uh, student population, we kind of see them from the very start to the very end. There's no handing off anywhere, right? With our students, we see them from the, from the time that they're kind of just sort of checking out college. Maybe they're a sophomore, junior, or senior in high school to welcoming them at New Student Orientation, to advising them, to transitioning them into the major, to, you know, then talking to them about kind of what's what, what's to come afterwards, right? So it makes sense that they could do that all with the same person. It does. It does. It kind of also helps students really see kind of the, the purpose for being here, right? We want students to be engaged. Absolutely. Because an engaged student is a retained student, right? We want, we want high retention rates. We want students to graduate. They need to be engaged. In order for them to be engaged, they have to understand why they're here. Why am I here? What am I doing? And my, what am I working toward? Right? And so those are kind of the big overarching questions around this hybrid model is helping them, stu- helping students kind of explore, where am I going? Because if we can kind of help them figure that out for themselves, because everybody's journey is different, if we can help them kind of figure out what their journey is going to be, then we can kind of say, okay, because of this journey that we want you to go on, that you want yourself to go on, now let's pick and choose an academic path that's going to get you there. So make sure you're on the right path before it's too late. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, and, and if you go down the wrong path, okay, let's, you know, <laughs> U-turn back again, right? A career trajectory is not a straight line. A career trajectory is, you know, starts and stops and try this and try that. And life is not a straight line either, um, which is also something different than what a traditional age college student is used to at that point, right? Everything's been laid out for them until this point. Up to that point, yes. There's a lot of structure within um, kind of the pre-K, K, grade school, middle school, secondary slash high school. There's a lot of structure. There's a lot less choice and a lot kind of very kind of very prescriptive paths that you can choose. But when you come to college, particularly an institution of this size uh, with, you know, 22, 23, 24,000 students, 70 different majors, lots of choice. Mm-hmm. And choice is both liberating and extremely confining in the sense that what do I do yeah right so do you find I I find um, I work with social science students so maybe they're a little more broad Um, I get a lot of students especially recently wanting me to say here's the jobs you can have Mm-hmm. They come in and they want me to go, here's a list of 10 jobs that you can now do that you have your degree. Um, yeah. So they aren't fans of me saying, well, <laughs> <laughs> it's not how it works. 
works, especially with a Bachelor of Arts degree. Right. Um, you're not really that narrow. Um, so do you find that you're getting yes, that? Yes, absolutely. Even in um, an industry-driven major like journalism and communication, right, where it's it, it may seem more logical and like, oh, I am a journalism major. I will be a journalist. Right. You know, I am as a journalist in. these days. There's, mm, <laughs> there's a whole question there all, all together. Yeah. Um, you know, but with a liberal arts degree, it's more important, I would argue, to have this kind of approach to advising mm -hmm. because you do have to kind of talk about the values of a liberal arts education in very tangible things that you can say, okay, a history degree leads to what? right? This, X, Y, Z. Um, and, you know, and it's not just history professor. Exactly. Right. Um, students can be very linear thinkers when we first get to that, right? One leads to two, leads to three, leads to four. Um, and career advising is all about kind of shaking that up and going, okay, let's, let's peel back the label Let's not call it a liberal arts degree. Let's not call it the social sciences. Let's look at it as uh, from the standpoint of what am I learning? How am I learning it? And how can I then take that skill set and apply it to something else? Yeah. What am I offering as a candidate when I come out of this as well? It's something I always tell the students. I'm like, they're not looking for you took a history class and you took mm -hmm. an English class. They want to know that you can research. They want to know that you can write a paper. They want to know that you can, you know, think critically for yourself. Right. So, um, yeah, that's, I like it. We might have to talk. <laughs> Matt will get mad because we'll run out of time. <laughs> we might have to talk some more about this in Portland. When I see you in person again, um, oh, we will have to chat yes. about this. Um, and I, I feel like I can't, continue this without asking um because you have talked a bit about your institution could you please remind me what the mascot for your institution is it is the duck it is the duck i yes. love that it's ducks and that yes. makes me very excited because um, <laughs> you see all these you know um all, all of these uh you know cougars and <laughs> tigers and you're the ducks and that we makes my duck. my yes. canadian heart very happy <laughs> um, <laughs> so thank you for that all right. I'm going to shoot another question your way. Um, let's talk Nakata. That is how we know each other. Mm -hmm. um, so maybe a little of your path to Nakata and what kind of involvement you've had and where your future you think in Nakata. So let's tell me all things Nakata. <laughs> well, I joined in 2006, I believe. Um, that's the year that Region 8 and Region 9 had a joint conference in Hawaii. Why not? So my first <laughs> regional conference was in Hawaii. Uh, you know, bar was set pretty high at that point. And I came out of that thinking, oh, my God, there's a bunch of people here who get my work jokes. Right. <laughs> that was the first thing I thought when I, I was <laughs> blown away. Yes, I learned a lot. And, you know, it was so great. But. These were a group of people that really understood what I did. And so I was, I mean, I was hooked. And again, I got the, you need to get involved, right? Uh, Nakata is very good about volunteering you to do something. And so I was voluntold to get involved. And I didn't kind of really know how uh, to get started. There was not a little literal sign this time. 
but I did, you know, show up at a conference planning committee for the next conference, I think was in Idaho, I think, which is very different from Hawaii. Very different. (laughs) But my background, um, I have a lot of um, kind of desktop publishing skill sets, you know, Photoshop, InDesign. I could do that sort of stuff. And so when I volunteered to be on the conference planning committee, I volunteered to take over the layout of the program, putting the program together. And that became my thing. And for multiple conference planning committees after that, uh, that was my thing. Um, I love that. This we learn new things about our relationship all the time, Sally. Because I did that multiple conferences. <laughs> We're both that like, give me something that I need to put. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> yes, yes. So that was that. That was my thing. Um, and then you know, once you get, once you attend meetings with you know folks who are interested in the same things, they tell you about other things. I was the the, the state of Oregon liaison for Region Eight. I was appointed to that role because someone uh, someone left, but I wasn't in that role for very long because very quickly they needed a communications coordinator. And because of my background in writing and editing and, you know, desktop publishing and all of that, you know, I kind of stepped into the communications coordinator role um, for Region 8. In that role, um, the region chair at the time, uh, toward the end of their um, term as region chair, uh, they had an emergency and couldn't attend their last regional conference. So as communications coordinator, I kind of stepped in to fill the role of region chair at that conference at that time. And so that kind of got me a little taste of what it was like to be region chair um, and decided I can do this. And so I ran for region chair and um, was uh, elected into that role. Region chair means you're automatically past region chair after that. Um, or as we like to say in Region 8, you get to be a region grandma. Because you just got to get to sit in the proverbial, you know, uh, rocking chair with your knitting needles and just tell the rest of the committee what to do. I like that. As as someone who is currently a region grandma, um, I like that. I'm going to have to pass that on to Jamie. Because it is. It's like you're watching your... Yeah. Your, your children it was great. flourish. Yeah. I like that. I'm, yeah. I'm going to have to start using that. <laughs> well, and then as you mentioned, I did the ELP program first as an emerging leader. And then you and I got connected together in 2016 to become uh, a pairing. Um, we're pairing. <laughs> we were a pairing. Uh, we were awesome. Uh, you were awesome because, again, I just got to sit back and go, yes, let's try that. And, you know, you, you were gangbusters and, and went crazy with that. After that, though, I think I kind of stepped away a little bit from Nakata. My heart has always been in the regional side of Nakata. Uh, That's kind of where I started and where I made the most connections was within the region. And after, you know, within the region, once you're region grandma, there's not much more that (laughs) you can do kind of within the region. And so I was trying to kind of figure out what to do from that point. I did become part of the Speakers Bureau in Nakata, and I'm on the advisory board for that right now. Uh, but for this past year, I've also been serving on the Budget Committee. And that's actually been a really fascinating committee to be on. It's hilarious that I'm on this committee because I can barely read a spreadsheet, very barely read a spreadsheet. 
And so I'm learning a lot about what actually goes into running an organization like this, like a global organization. And we're talking about, you know, millions of dollars, right? Hundreds and thousands of dollars here and, you know, $50,000 there and like, oh, okay. So I've been on the budget committee for the past year and just recently got elected to become the next um, budget committee chair. And I saw that. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. That won't start until October. So um, I'm hoping that my proficiency with reading spreadsheets is going to improve coming out of this. Here's... And that's what there's always somebody at the Nakata executive office who knows what they're talking about um, to help you when you get confused with those things. So that's, that's awesome. Um, Yes, I did see that. Oh, and you and I are on the 2022 Portland annual conference planning committee. That's right. And what is it that we're planning, Sally? Well, we are the uh, awesome subcommittee of two for the service project. Right. So stay tuned, everyone, for the awesome service <laughs> project that will happen at the 2022 conference in Portland, yeah. where I am very excited to get back to seeing people in person. Um, Me too. Me too. And it's, I, I will add, um, that you were an amazing mentor, uh, mm-hmm. so much that encouraged me that I could then be a mentor. And you are right, way less work being on the mentor <laughs> side. It is a, you're doing fantastic. <laughs> And you get to sit back and just enjoy the ride, right? Um, and now I forget where I was going with that. This is, hello, welcome to your It's 40s. so great. Talk I mean, N- <laughs> Nakata has been my professional, like, you know, my professional development home since 2016. So a long time, right? Yes. I've, uh, my membership has not, has maybe lapsed for like two weeks and I go, oh no, I forgot to renew my membership. So my membership has been pretty consistent all throughout. Um but what I've gotten out of Nakata, right? Certainly I've been involved and I've gotten leadership roles and I've, you know, but the people I've met and continue to meet because of Nakata, through Nakata, mm-hmm. tremendous, absolutely tremendous. You know, um, I've had the privilege of like formally mentoring you. You mentored me as much as anything. Um, but, you know, informal conversations in the hallways. Mm-hmm. Uh, priceless. You yes, know, that's being, what I always say. Sally's my official mentor, but I have so many more that have taught me and led me. And um, so, yes, and, it is. It's yeah, an amazing organization. <laughs> amazing, and you know, just to have to know that if I'm if I'm stuck in my job, if there's a particular problem or an issue, you know, sometimes when you're, you're in a problem, you can't really see the forest for the trees, right? You're so bogged down in it that you can't really see a way out. I got a list easy of five, 10 people who kind of do the same thing that I do professionally through, but through Nakata, I can just pick up the phone and go, dude, I need some help. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> or I need a reality check or I, I need affirmation that this is just weird. <laughs> this is weird, right? Because this yeah. is just weird. Um, all that through Nakata. And um, so much bang for the value of my membership. And I always say Nakata was my training ground for the pandemic because Nakata was Zooming before everybody else was Zooming. So when everything went online, everybody who was a part of Nakata went, this is no problem. I've got this. <laughs> we already know you got to turn the mute on and off, right? So yeah, that's, that's good. So One thing I was going to say, uh, a valuable lesson you taught me, and you did mention how you stepped back a little. Um, 
is that it's okay to say no. Uh, because I have a nasty habit of saying yes to everything. That yeah, we talked about that a lot. Yes. In our so time you together. often were the one who was like, you don't have to say yes to everything. <laughs> so I appreciate that. And I am starting to get better at it. Um, as I am still involved in way too much, but um, <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. Um, so um, this is just a personal curiosity question. Uh, of all of the conferences you've gone to, regional, the annual, I don't know if you've gone to any international, what's been your favorite location? Location. She talked about Hawaii, but was there another site that you like really liked where that was? You got to see interesting things. Well, um, I I love Canada. And I'm not just saying that because you're <laughs> from Canada, but my favorite city in the world so far that I've visited is Victoria. And before I discovered Victoria, I fell in love in Van- with Vancouver, BC. And um, so location-wise, I would say my most favorite location for a Region 8 conference was uh, Vancouver. Victoria was the conference that never was because it was the conference that uh, got canceled the day before the conference because of COVID. Although we are returning back there in May. So uh, as of right now, Vancouver holds the top spot because Victoria just, just didn't quite happen. Didn't happen yet. Uh, but so are you Canada, going in May? I'm hoping to, yes. Good. I'm awesome. hoping to. Well, Canada will welcome you. Oh. <laughs> Canada, so I love you. <laughs> and we love you. Um, I have to uh, ask as well about um, you mentioned baking in your bio. I don't mm-hmm. know if we've talked extensively about baking. Okay. Um, was there anything over the pandemic when everybody was baking that you? started making or fell in you love know, with? Or? Everybody was doing sourdough rolls, right? Mm-hmm. Over the pandemic. And I mastered sourdough rolls years ago. <laughs> no, no, no more sourdough for Sally. <laughs> oh, that sounded so obnoxious. Um, but actually, truly, um, my mother-in-law, who has now since passed, she had gifted me her decades-old starter when my husband, um, now my husband, then my boyfriend at the time were getting together for the first time and she actually taught me how to make sourdough rolls based on that starter that she had so I truly appreciate what sourdough roll rolls can be and you know long before the pandemic um during the pandemic baking um I tried French macarons oh yes yes um Hit and miss, but um, red velvet cupcakes. I've got a great recipe for this stupidly good chocolate peanut butter cake. Mm-hmm. Oh, you might need to share that one. Mm-hmm. It's like chocolate cake, <laughs> peanut butter mousse filling, and then like a chocolate peanut butter frosting. Oh, yes, please, Sally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. That sounds amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah, baking. I mean, baking has always been my thing. Again, the things I read your podcast or your bio and and realize we have even more in common than we thought. Um, that's why we got along. That's right. Uh, yeah, and your love of Canada. But uh, yeah, it was definitely over the pandemic something I enjoyed. Um, did my, you get into the sourdough? Great. I never did the sourdough. So there's a bread that my grandmother made, my mother made. Um, the best I can call it is molasses brown bread. To me, it's. Oh. 
brown bread. Um, seems like a, and I don't know if it's a maritime thing. I don't see it very often here. Um, but I made that a lot and it's delicious oh, and just reminds me of my grandmother and my mother. So oh, it's, a, it's a fantastic recipe, but mine was chocolate pretzel goodness. Um, it was like a bar and it was like just a recipe I found off of the internet, but uh, we started calling them pandemic bars because I made them so much. So, yes, I approve. Yes. I'll send you that recipe. You send mm-hmm. me the chocolate cake one. Deal. Deal. Um, now the most important thing we have to talk about. You have yeah. two adorable puppies. <laughs> Tell us all about them. <laughs> uh, I do have two corgis and they are very adorable and very, very different. I added the word adorable to your bio. You didn't have adorable. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So I have two corgis. Yes, I do have two corgis and uh, they're adorable. Absolutely. And I never grew up with dogs. My husband did. I never did. So when we got our first corgi, that was my first dog. And I always kind of sort of knew that dogs had personalities. I never truly appreciated how much dogs had personalities until I had two dogs, because they are completely different dogs, completely different. Um, This is going to be weird to some of our listeners. I I will own own this. But you know how um, there are some parents out there who are very into their kids' sports or, um, you know, I'm a gymnastics mom. So I hear the phrase soccer mom, (laughs) gymnastics mom, you know, um, well, I have two very different corgis and they're involved in two very different things. Carson is six, uh, just turned six. And Carson does agility with my husband, Scott and dog agility is where they go into a ring. It's kind of like an obstacle course and they kind of have to run the course in a certain order and try not to make any mistakes. And, for anybody who doesn't know what a corgi is, they are a mid-sized dog just with very, very short legs. The queen's dog. The queen's dogs, indeed. And to watch this cute little fluffy butt <laughs> <laughs> running around the course um, with my husband, who is six seven, by the way, um, is it just warms my heart. <laughs> it's a huge contrast, absolutely. So Scott and Carson do agility together. Poe is a confirmation dog, um, which is a, which is the official term for a show dog. And so um, I'm a stage mom with Poe, and I take him to dog shows to get shown. Um, this is not my entire life. Uh, I'm learning more and more about the confirmation part of, of dog sports, which I had never really fully understood before. Um, and I've met some amazing people through that. But... I do spend a portion of my life kind of being a sport mom and being an art mom um, with these two dogs. But that's, you know, a tiny part of what they do. The other part is they just make us super happy. Um, I get to walk them every day, at least twice, sometimes three times a day. They need a lot of exercise, which is uh, not what most people think about with corgis. And um, they are very loyal. And they're like your shadow. They will follow you everywhere, including to the bathroom. And you have to be okay with that. They are like little toddlers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I, I'm, I'm like toddlers, though. They shed a lot. Oh, I bet they do. And so I have corgi glitter everywhere. 
in all parts of my house and my car and elements of my office, I'm sure. I have Poe with me here today uh, randomly, and he's well, he's napping right now. So, but he's he's le- <laughs> yes, he's I'm sure leaving some gl- glitter right there. Amazing. So, but Amazing. Um, I love them, and I, you know. <laughs> this is the part that's crazy. They have their own Twitter and Instagram, and I would be remiss, would not be much of a momager if I didn't plug Carson Pem Corgi on Twitter and Instagram for them. I don't know if I follow them, so I'm writing that down. <laughs> I must follow them. <laughs> They're almost like my little nephew dogs or something. <laughs> you got to keep their eye on them. <laughs> Um, yeah. So, and, and the podcast listeners won't be able to see this, but behind me, um, right now, um, I put a calendar together for them every year that now I actually ship to people around the world. They have an aunt who met them on Twitter, who has one of their calendars now. I look forward to my Corgi Christmas card every year. As a horrible person who doesn't send Christmas cards, but I appreciate very much getting to see Carson and Poe and occasionally you and Scott on the (laughs) the Christmas cards. I will say dog Twitter and dog Instagram are way better than people Twitter and people Instagram. Way better. Good to know. I have have recently started a... um, an Instagram for my dog, but I'm a new dog mom, so I'm not experienced yet. I'll, I'll get there. Um, but I, I've already asked you advice about dogs. <laughs> uh, I was, I was going to say how it's interesting to listen to you talk about them because not only does it, you know, relate to children and raising children, but also to our students and how, you know, taking the different personalities of each student, you think, you know, a journalism student is a journalism student, but every student that comes into our office is, a different story onto themselves. So um, yeah, I know great. that's, yeah, I know that's a, a, a definitely something that the world of advising seems to be embracing and trying to move forward with more is that, you know, listen to each student's story and how are they, don't, let's not put them all in a box, right? Yeah. So, well, one of the good. things I love about higher education is it's, it's cyclical, right? Every year, one class graduates, yay, one class comes in. And so two benefits of that, really. One benefit uh, for me personally, I, I kind of feel like it keeps me young because I'm always around younger people, right? So I don't, uh, well, sometimes I feel old, but most of the time I'm like, okay, you know, I spend my day with younger, with younger people. But the other part of it too, because it's cyclical, when you're thinking about, you know, supporting students and trying new things, you can try new things and fail epically fail but then you can learn from it you can pick up the pieces you can uh tweak things and then you can try it again with a whole new population of students who never knew you failed epically a year before that's right Right? that's excellent advice yeah see this is why i lucked out getting you as my mentor don't tell maria <laughs> she, oh she got my god with me. <laughs> Maria is I'm sure having a wonderful time with you. You are so great. I've learned from the best um, is what I would say. Um I like that though that they don't know they don't know what they don't know. But we know what we did and we can we fix it, we right? We can fix it, right? And I'm, like you said, there's no one way, right? Every student is different. Every student there is kind of 
cookie, you know, cookie cutter policy. Hmm. Cookie cutter. Yes. But cookie cutters come in all sorts of shapes. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I'm looking forward to one of my favorite days ever as an advisor is convocation. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody's so happy. They're all Yikes. dressed up. Their mom's there. Um, and we haven't had in-person convocations right. since 2019. So I'm hoping we get back to that in person. Have you been able to have in person yet? We haven't yet, but they have announced that because um, our commencement is in June, uh, because we're on the quarter calendar, uh, that our commencement will be in person. And they are inviting the class of 2020 and the class of 2021 to come back as oh, well. So it could be huge. So it could potentially be huge. Yes, the main ceremony is usually held in our basketball arena. It's now going to be held in our football arena. Wow. So, so is it not, it's not just the, the school of journalism and communication? Like, do you do the whole? It's like, both. Okay. Yeah. At, uh, at Oregon, we have uh, kind of an all school, all, all university ceremony. Okay. And then individual departments, uh, academic departments also host their own nice. as well. Nice. I know. Yeah. I can't wait. I love it. Love it. Um, any other, like, things that you would say are your what's your favorite part of your job like if there's one thing that you could do every day as part of advising what is what is it that you enjoy well commencement is actually a good point uh, a good time to kind of go huh look at that I met you when you were a brand new student you were excited you were eager you were no idea what you wanted to do. And now look at you, right? There's that element of, uh, I love working within an academic department because of that full circle, yeah. you know, because of that, I, uh, you know, I have parents who come up to me at commencement who would say, we met you at that recruiting event. And I'm so, you know, I'm so glad to and be able to see you again. And this is at graduation now, right? Um, so that part of it is, Oh my gosh, that is soul money. Yeah. You, you can't put a price on that. I agree. Um, but as a director now too, um, I do still have student contact, which I love, absolutely love meeting with students. Um, but to be able to kind of see that happening for my advisors too, that's a whole nother level of soul money, right? When yeah. my advisors get excited about Oh my gosh, I just was working with this student. I met them this, you know, I met them this past year and now they just landed a job at this PR agency and I'm super excited, you know. So just kind of seeing them get that soul money too is like, oh. Yeah. When that student contacts you, letting you know like they've called mom, they've called other people, and then they're calling you to say, I got into law school or I'm like, it's like, yeah, you did, my little monkey. <laughs> yeah, it's uh it's interesting that we're, you know, with them for two, four years, however long mm-hmm. your programs are, and you get invested in, in who they are and where they're going. So I always love when alumni reach back out and let you know how yeah, they're doing. I do too. Yeah. And, you know, with some of our students, right, if you think about the trajectory of a traditional age student going through college, they are learning adulting 101, um, and they'll, ha- they'll, they'll face challenges. And, you know, sometimes the ones you remember the most were the ones who just 
faced so much challenge and you know and they maybe they overcame it yay maybe they didn't quite overcome it in the moment but you know in time that they did right those are the ones that kind of really stick with you too but then to come back and find out yeah we did okay it all turned out um yeah and i had a little part i had a little part of that and yeah helping you get through awesome I think that is probably a fantastic place to wrap up our conversation as we could probably keep talking for another hour. And Matt might not like that, but he did at some point say that maybe we can have a part two sometimes. Oh, so hey. Okay. You never know. We still hey. haven't talked about, we haven't talked about Star Trek that you mentioned in your bio. We haven't talked about Harry Potter. There's still many Thanks things so left to discuss. <laughs> but thank you very much for sitting down and having this conversation with me as always. I love chatting with you. Um, and hopefully we get to see each other in 3d in October. <laughs> I hope so too. This has been so fun. Thank you for stepping into this role. This is, this is a new gig for you. Well, somebody asking me to talk isn't usually. <laughs> <laughs> and you didn't say no. Well, I know. <laughs> Matt's probably good and glad about that one, though. <laughs> um, he is. Well, what a, what a joy and a privilege this was. Thank you. Thank you. Patricia, thanks for coming back on the podcast and taking over the interviewing duties. And Sally, wonderful stories and tie-ins to advising. You can definitely hear in your voice how your students and Nakata have a positive impact on you because you have that positive impact on them. And guess what? We've reached the end of episode 56. Plenty of previous episodes to get caught up on. And of course, follow us on social media and also subscribe to Adventures in Advising on Apple, Spotify, Google, and Amazon Music. Take care, keep advising, and I can't wait for to be back to check out episode 57.